0: Government has said it is considering all options, including declaring a state of emergency after a third night of escalating violence and rioting in cities and towns across France. Hundreds of police were injured last night and more than 900 people arrested. Ministers asked for public transport across France tonight to be suspended and some major events have been cancelled as the government tries to stop scenes like this taking place for the fourth night running. The protest began in a Paris suburb on Tuesday when a police officer shot dead a 17-year-old boy of North African descent during a traffic stop in Nanterre. Footage of the shooting was posted online. The unrest quickly spread across France, fueled by accusations of police racism and wider discrimination against minority communities. Around 45,000 police officers have now been deployed on the streets. From Paris, here's our Europe editor, Katja Radler. Paris, supposed to be the city of love, is exploding again into hateful confrontation. Riot police versus angry youths, many under the age of 18. There's talk the French government may be forced to call a state of emergency. In the meantime, France's president today urged parents to keep youngsters at home while he sent more police onto the streets. But those youngsters aren't listening. Last night the violence spread to flashpoints across the country. Town halls, schools, public buildings seen to represent the state of France have all been targeted. There was looting too in central Paris. In the Mediterranean city of Marseille, the state library was attacked. The UK and the US have now issued travel advice for their citizens visiting France.
1: That's a BBC report, and uh, by the time I heard that report, there were five nights straight of violence in France. In fact, friends of mine uh, that I trust are saying it's civil war in France. Uh, at the point, uh, at the time of this discussion, a thousand arrests, forty-five thousand security forces deployed, uh, officers injured. As a matter of fact, uh, the rioters are going at, going into to uh, businesses. They're dragging people out of their cars, and these are the migrant Muslims for the most part. Now, you're not going to read that in the news. You're not going to see that on the BBC or on France 24 or wherever you look because no one is willing to actually talk about what's happening. According to sources, I'm seeing they're yelling "Allahu Akbar as they commit their violence. And so um, it's a time of terrible turmoil in France. Remember when you were a kid or when you thought about someday you'd like to go to Paris. You think of the, the beauty of Paris, the outdoor cafes. Uh, I'm afraid that's uh, a thing of the past. Um, there is so much strife there and so much change. But it's just not Paris, is it? It's all over the world. All over World, we see turmoil, we see rebellion, we see degradation and immorality. Uh, It's just overwhelming us. The acceleration of it itself is overwhelming us. We're going to talk today about someone who's flying all over the world to talk to leaders about uh, how God has established government and how governments, even if they're not Christian, can adopt principles that will be good for their people how to fight back, how to just talk about the awareness of God uh, to these leaders of the parliaments and Knesset and all over the globe. And we'll talk with him in just a second. But we couldn't do that if we didn't have the support of preborn. You know that we're celebrating. This is our, you know, birth of our Freedom Month. How about that? It's not just It's Pride. Pride Month can be June, then Freedom Month can be July, celebrating the United States of America. One of the things that we celebrate is our founding document, the Declaration of Independence, where it promises that we have a right to life and liberty. We are endowed by our creator with those rights. And when we think of that, we think of maybe those among us who are the least able to secure their rights and their liberty, and that would be babies in their mother's womb. We know that in this country right now, they don't have any rights and increasingly, they are being taken, their lives are being taken in the most brutal ways. That's why pre-born steps in and they provide ultrasound to moms who are not sure if they can keep a baby. They're just not sure they're in crisis. Yeah, some of them may be just selfish, but I think most women are tormented about the notion of uh, terminating their child. And that's where pre comes in, provides these ultrasounds, which are only uh, $28 a piece they provide the ultrasounds, and once the moms see their babies and actually see that they are babies, uh, they usually cannot go through with it. And that's good. And then they provide help for them afterwards. Uh, but that's what preborn does. And if you would like to help them, you can do that by going to preborn.com slash sandy. That's preborn.com slash sandy. By the way, we talk about a lump number of controversial things, and I'm thinking maybe you have something to say in response. And if you do, just call us at 662-821-2040. That's 662-821-2040. Or you can go to sandy at afr.net, and you can actually send us an email. Can you imagine that, sending an email? Sandy at afr.net. And you can also now go to sandyrios.com, which is a great repository. It's a great way to listen to the show. It'll link you right away, and also you can get more information. There's also a link to a new website that talks about my first child, Sasha. Uh, there's quite a story there, and some of you might enjoy that. So, um, so there you go. That's the nuts and bolts. And uh, sit back and relax uh, for this edition of Sandy Rios, twenty four seven, from American Family Radio. Sandy Rios. We are not called to be nice. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C.
0: is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios.
1: The most important thing we need to demonstrate to our children is genuineness.
2: Good morning, America. Welcome to a national gathering for prayer and repentance from your nation's capital. One glance at the headlines on any given day reveals to the spiritually perceptive that America is in trouble. Understanding the significance of these troubles should propel us to pray for our nation, just as Americans have done in the past. In the deep division and devastation of the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln saw only one hope, to cry out to God in humble repentance. Here are his words. We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. It behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power, to confess our national sins, and to pray for clemency and forgiveness.
1: Sandy Rios with you on Sandy Rios 24-7. That beautiful, beautiful opening was the beginning of the National Gathering for Prayer and Repentance this past February at the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. Uh, and the the person at the center of all of that who put this together is our guest today. Uh, Jim Garlow is maybe a familiar name to you. He's certainly familiar to me for lots of reasons, but he is the founder and CEO of Well-Versed. It's very interesting because, uh, you know, what I do is uh, I've always felt that God called me to do uh, talk about the events of the world, and in the midst of that, weave in Jesus, uh, sometimes blatantly, sometimes not blatantly. And I think that that's why I'm a kindred spirit, I think, with Jim, because he Felt that call, too. He brings biblical principles of government to government leaders. He and his wife have visited with 10 heads of state and numerous foreign prime ministers. They travel all over the world uh, trying to make the case for biblical principles. I'll let him tell you about that. Uh, He's written this book, more than one book, but the book Well-Versed is what his ministry's uh, title is based on. He's heard daily on 800 radio outlets uh, and we could go on and on, but then he'd never have a chance to talk. And I, uh, I'm so pleased that joining us today is Dr. Jim Garlow. Thanks for joining us, Jim.
3: A joy to be with you, Sandy. Thank you so much.
1: Give us just an idea of what your travel itinerary has been this past year.
3: <laughs> okay. Netherlands, Albania, Macedonia, Romania, Amsterdam, Germany, Latvia, Liechtenstein, Switzerland, Israel, Kosovo, Turkey, Poland, uh, Hungary, let's see, Finland, Norway, England, I think that's, oh, Panama, uh, I think that's about it.
1: Well, you know, I'm disappointed. I thought, you know, I thought I had a bad travel schedule, but I think you've beat, I I don't even know how you do that physically, you and your wife, but you do. Uh, and in the process of this, you do meet with leaders of state. Um, I, I There's such a long list of them, I hardly know where to begin, so I'm just going to ask you. What do you think, let's just pick this year, uh, the most incredible interaction you've had with a, with a head of state has been?
3: Well, we meet with not only heads of state, we've only met with 10 there, but we meet with um, uh, in addition members of, of parliament, and then sometimes mayors, former, former prime ministers. Um, one of the thing that's been an eye-opener to me in terms of a pattern that I've seen has kind of shocked me. I was in Romania, and I asked a a person who's involved a lot with government, I said, talk to me about the word corruption. Tell me how bad that is here. And then he said this, which really triggered something of what I observed in other countries. He said, well, we have on one side people who are heavily involved in corruption. And on the other side, people who are trying not to be involved in corruption, trying to walk clean. But what happens if, if a guy in, who's not walking in corruption gets in power, then the people who have walked in corruption... They nitpick until they find one thing, something they can get the guy for, and the people who are wallowing in corruption accuse the other guy of being corrupt. <laughs> as soon as he said that, I just thought of what we, we experienced in, in, with Janine Anya. She was at the time president, uh, Prime Minister in uh, Bolivia, President rather, of Bolivia. Uh, she was in power there because of an uprising of the people, a prayer meeting, a prayer meeting just a few years ago. And it, it drove out the Socialists. But when the Socialists came back into control, they put her in prison, charged her with trumped-up charges. Ten years, she's in prison right now. Uh, we thought Jair Bolsonaro, they're now accusing him of, I think, the January 8th uh, uprising. Uh, we look what, what Trump has gone through. Uh, Jean-Mattei, we met with, we met with we met Bolsonaro twice. The second time we met with him, he's president of Brazil. Second time we met with him, he was just silent as we talked, we prayed over him. And then when he spoke, he just said these words. We met with him just before he was inaugurated and then after he'd been in for several years. And he just simply said, The cross is heavy. And we could see on his face, his countenance, how difficult uh, the job was. Then we met with uh, a Jimmy Morales president in Guatemala who was kind of Trump like in his past, but he surrounded himself with good, godly people uh, for for the most part. And then his successor, Alejandro jean Tay, and he, he's not one of us in the value structures you and I have, but he did bring in good godly pastors to help him guide the government in good ways. He was used by the Lord in a profound way. Well, he's, he got termed out. They only have one term there. Just, this just happened last week. Uh, there's actually a runoff going on in Guatemala, and already there's accusations what they're going to do to him once he's out of power. Uh, in Honduras, uh, Hernandez is out of power. Now, I don't I don't know in that situation whether the charges are right or not, but immediately thrown into prison. Now, that may have been legitimate. I just I don't know. But I'm going to speak about the others at least. The pattern is, is, is once the left is getting control, they will do anything to charge the others with a crime and put them in prison. And when, once I saw that pattern coming from a comment uh, from uh, a guy in Romania, uh, it, it, was, it was a profound sense of the price that's paid to walk in, in righteousness in the culture we live in. Probably the most amazing, though, Sandy, and I'll cap off with this, is Viktor Orban in Hungary. He gets accused of all kinds of things. Uh, no country is perfect, and no leader is perfect. But this is hes probably the most biblically grounded government of any of the 193 nations of the world. And he has a guy on the, who's a state secretary named Tristan Azbez. And Tristan's assignment, anywhere in the world, is to find Christians that are being persecuted and save their lives. Now, Hungary's only nine million people; it's small, <laughs> but it's the only one. They've sponsored two conferences on the persecution of Christians. I've attended there. I've attended their demographics forum there on the the demographic winter going across Europe, and for that matter, all of all the Western world. We can talk about that if you want to. But because of the demographic winter, by that I mean couples aren't having enough babies. You have to have 2.1 babies per couple to keep the nation going minimally. And most nations are 1.3, 1.6, 1.5, 1.4, 1.7, somewhere in there. So in Viktor Orban, as the prime minister of Hungary, is saying to couples, you'll have two babies, we'll cancel half your student debt. You'll have three babies, we'll cancel all your student debt. If you keep having babies, we'll help you buy your house. We'll buy you a van if you'll fill it with babies. And they say, get married first and then have children. And you'll see billboards all over Hungary with pictures of have families. Or even the the jet bridge on the plane. You look there and there's an advertisement on the side of it. To have children, have babies. It's the most family-centered country of its kind. And he's fiercely committed to upholding Christian principles of governance.
1: You know, it's funny, Jim. I uh, Victor Orban was at uh, CPAC, uh, I think the one in Maryland, and I got a chance to to meet him. And then get, I was interviewed by Hungarian television. And uh, in general, what it struck me is that they could not believe what was happening here—how immoral, how degrading. How and I said to them. You can't even imagine that 50 years ago when I was young, this is what we were saying about you. You were part of the Eastern Bloc. This is before you even remember this was happening to you. It's uh, it's really funny to me as I think about the big picture of it, uh, Jim, is that you know, Satan is the prince of this world. I have to just go right there. And it always strikes me how uncreative he is. When he destroys, he does the same thing over and over again, as opposed to God, who is ultimately... Infinitely creative and does different things all the time that you never see coming. Isn't that interesting?
3: Exactly. It's interesting wherever I where we are with with government leaders. It's interesting that they'll say the same thing. So you won't believe what is happening in our country. You won't believe the LBGTQA+, plus whatever. Uh, they're they're coming after our kids. You won't believe what, how transgenderism is being forced upon. You won't believe. It's like they don't realize that this is cosmic, this is demonic, this is this is this is global. This this is this is Satan's plan himself. I was on a call once, a Zoom call. I think thirteen Latin American nations were represented in, represented with sixty people. And whoever was the spokesperson from each nation would actually use start with oftentimes, you won't believe what's happening in our country, like they were not aware yes. this was happening in every other country. And the goal is the same. Satan has found a way to try to destroy us at the very core of who we are. Don't have time to go into this, but there's a reason why he's attacking us on the issue of sexuality. Because in Genesis one, two, and three, you take a look at the at the actual Hebrew words for the definition of marriage. They're rich. They're profound. The text, the image of God, the Amago day, the image of God is profound. So, so what God established first of all was male and female in Genesis one. And what he established in Genesis 2 was one-flesh marriage. What he established in Genesis 4 was procreation. So along comes Satan, and he goes in reverse order. He goes after Genesis 4, procreation, kills the babies in abortion. Once he's established that, then he goes after marriage and redefines that. So we're now back to Genesis 2. Then once he does that, he goes back to Genesis 1, and where we were, we were first as male and female. Now he gets away with, goes away with gender specificity. That's what's happening in the country. Now, the good news is, however, the good news is that we were just in London uh, two weeks or maybe a week or so ago at a major conference you know, with top leaders, even the, the former prime minister of Australia, uh, the former prime minister who served three times as prime minister of Slovenia, uh, quite a quite a number of thinkers. And there was a consensus in that very little elite group there that the the, the, the peak of the Climatology, the climate religion, and the identity politics. That there's a sensing in which, even sort of the mushy middle in our various countries, are getting fed up. People who wouldn't be necessarily sympathetic to many of our values are saying, "Wait a minute, this is just too much." And so when the San Francisco gay choir sings, "We're coming for your children," or they Mm -hmm. chant on the streets of New York City. Yep. Uh, it, 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 it struck a chord in people down in Peru in 2017, big campaign called Don't Mess With Our Kids. And Don't Mess With Our Kids grew up a million and a half to the streets, 26 cities. A uh, Catholic cardinal, who was 73 years of age at the time, rose up and took on the then president, he took on George Soros and <laughs> drove them back in, in that country. And that's the kind of thing we need to see in our country today.
1: I think so too, Jim. I, I think I I am finding myself. Okay, I don't want to I don't want to say this as a discouragement. I think I'm just trying to get perspective. I I do think that that attack against gender is like the. the it seems to me that that could be the final assault. That's like that's a that's against God's creation, the very foundation of how everything functions. It's like the final assault on God Himself, uh, using us as the pawns. But um. I do think people are wising up. I guess the issue is uh, it seems like the forces, the dark forces, we'll just call them that, um, have so gained so much power uh, through media and Internet and governmental leadership uh, that I'm, I'm not sure, even if—I'm go- not sure. I'm not sure where the tipping point is, but, of course, we don't know, so we still have to fight. Uh, I found many years ago, when I was president of CWA, Jim, uh, we were, the problem was, at that time, was that Western nations like the United States and Canada, I'll say feminists, were sl- radical, lesbian, feminists, whatever. Hillary Clinton comes to mind because she was the, one of the leaders of that pack. Uh, they were exporting all of our com- abject immorality, forcing nations to adapt these things, uh, re, you know, accepting homosexuality and all of this, now it's transgenderism, or they would not get uh, aid from the United States. It really, in modern times, that's how I remember this starting for all those other countries.
3: Yes, and uh, we were in Paris a few years ago. It was during the Obama administration. My wife and I were at a conference on marriage, and there were people from nations, all the nations of the world, or many nations of the world, and the African delegates uh, said, you, here you are colonizing us again. And I raised the question, what, what, what do you mean we're colonizing you again? He so, said, well, you colonized us once, and now you're sexually colonizing us. This wow. under Obama administration He so said, you're refusing aid to us unless we acquiesce, the homosexual agenda. You're refusing even to, uh, to allow us to use and get military help. We were in Guatemala. And in Guatemala, there, we were uh, the U.S. at that time was getting rid of a lot of uh, well, what the U.S. considered antiquated helicopters. Guatemala wanted them, and they said, "No, you can't have these helicopters that we're not going to use unless you affirm homosexuality." And and our, right. our the then ambassador in Guatemala, along with the then president, coerced them to put the rainbow flag alongside, same level as all Guatemala flags which was profoundly offensive. When, when I met with uh, uh, jean Mateo is just going out as president now because they've got new elections going there right now, and they have a runoff uh, when I was with him, a small group of us were with him, and I, I, I said, make sure you don't acquiesce when Kamala Harris comes to town, which she was coming soon. He said, uh, through a translator, he said, be assured, I will not. And he did not, but the, most Americans do not realize these countries pay a horrific price if they don't knuckle under to this. And we think, okay, that's just, that was just during Biden and then going back to just during Obama. But they don't realize that our State Department has been a challenge, a major parts of our State Department, been a challenge since, from the 1940s on. And by that, I mean, uh, as Obama went out, there were many people who were political appointees. He transferred them over to career bureaucrats. You can't fire them. So within the Trump administration, we were back there numerous times. I, I served on Trump's faith advisory board for four years. There were times we were back there and met with a person who write, would write his pro-life speeches for him, who, who would write, in it was called the EEOC, the building right next to the White House. And she would describe for me, even though they had a, a openly pro-life position, officially, from President Trump, that it, within the State Department, there would be events put together, all pro-abortion, planned, inviting countries from all over the world to come. And by the time... The appropriate people would find out about it. It, it. it was too late. It was too late. They would intentionally, willfully defy defy their pre- and their the, the the executive branch oversees all these agencies and the State Department included, and yet they would defy what their boss would do and say. And there was nothing that could be could not fire them. That's part of the challenge that we face.
1: Yeah, I just and also this is even. Uh, just as egregious, if not worse, Rick Grinnell, who has done so many good things, is a gay activist beyond, uh, well, he was part of the leadership of uh, establishing gay marriage in this country, and President Trump sent him to Germany to be the ambassador. And um, I think, you know, he, he did some fine things, but he himself was a driving force, making embassies all over the world fly the gay flag. And, and so it's just very, very, very distressing. Jim, I want to go back with you. Well, two things. When you go to these countries, and you 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 and Rosemary go all the time, there there won't be even time to even scratch the surface of what you're doing. But what is your mission? I mean, not the words, not your mission statement, but what are you in your own mind? What are you trying to do, and what are you trying to communicate?
3: Very good. I do want to make a disclaimer, and is I I I don't want to imply for for a moment that I have access to heads of state directly. I have to rely. I, I don't have the contacts or clout for that. It comes through friends who are willing to connect me, or small delegations that I go with. Uh, so I can't just pick up the phone and call some head of state, so I don't want to imply that for a moment. Our ministry is a small ministry. It's not a large ministry at all. Uh, but God has opened the doors, and in particular this last trip, to meet with uh, members of Parliament. I have friends who help me get to them and meet with them, and what I, we bring is very, very simple. Uh, our well-versed mission statement is bringing biblical principles of governance to government leaders. In a heartbeat, here's, here's the way I'd summarize it. Every Christian seems to know the Bible speaks to personal issues of life. We get that. It speaks to family issues of life. We get that. It speaks to congregational or church life. We get that. But I would contend that probably 99% of Christians do not realize that the Bible speaks to the issues of civil governance. Uh, George Barna did some research a few years ago. He discovered that 90% of pastors agreed that the Bible speaks to the cultural, social, political issues of the day. But when asked in the same survey, will you speak to those cultural, social, political issues that the Bible speaks to, 90% of pastors said, no, we will not. Why is that? Afraid of offending. um, That's worshiping to the altar of nickels, noses, and numbers. And (laughs) then in the survey he did two years later, Barna discovered the average late person says, we do not speak out on the issues. Why? I thought the survey would say, we don't speak on issues because we're afraid of being accused of being... Uh, homophobic, or transphobic, or xenophobic, or Islamophobic or phobic or just being criticized. But that's not what they said. They said, it's the average layman of the pew. We do not speak on the issues because we do not know what to say. When I heard that, that triggered something within me. So I wrote a book called Well-Versed, same name as our ministry. Well, by the way, our, our, our ministry uh, website is wellversedworld.org, wellversedworld.org. But I wrote a book called Well-Versed, it lays out the biblical underpinnings, biblical foundations to 30 political topics, all the way from minimum wage, social security, health care, welfare, immigration, in addition, of course, the classics, abortion, marriage, theology of war, civil disobedience, etc. Um, I found that because of the, what's happened the last few years in America, these last three years, we're now writing a part two, a volume two, to that book, Well Verse. It'll be out by the end of the year or earlier, I hope. And that's going to cover 60 political topics. So we didn't even think of it. transhumanism. Not more than transgenderism, <laughs> transhumanism. AI, uh, ESGs, DEI, BLM, CRT, all these initials. All this stuff that we didn't even think about. We'll be covering cloning, uh, the, the list, uh, genetic uh, manipulation. We're going to cover all these. What's the biblical groundings or foundations? That we appeal to, on these topics, we'll have 60 different topics. So when I go meet with members of government, uh, my, my case, I was, case is always the same. We were, I, like I was in Albania recently, and I met with people, four different political parties, three, is he two or three, is he three? It was, it was two different former prime ministers, different parties. And my message was always the same, that God established government. God establishes nations. He loves us. He cares about us. He didn't write the book and go, wow, I forgot about that whole government thing. He loves it so much, he laid out the principles of governance. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. If that's true, which it is, then the reverse is, cursed is the nation whose God is not the Lord. We come to bring biblical principles of governance, which will bless your nation. I met once with a—we've met privately, our little ministry, with 93 of the 193 ambassadors at the United Nations. We had a small ministry there. And and so I was meeting with one particular ambassador from a small Muslim nation, and I said, sir, you have a 40% unemployment rate in your nation. He said, yes. I said, that's very painful for your people. He said, yes, it is. I said, we bring biblical principles of governance pertaining to economics for a nation that will bless your people. Can I pray for you right now? He said, oh, yes. He didn't say, oh, no, you're a Christian, I'm a Muslim, don't you dare pray for me. He knew badly how much his, his people were hurting badly in his country. One other time we met with a, an ambassador. He says, well, oh, you bring the Bible. I don't, I don't believe in the Bible. I'm an atheist. He said, fine. We, just, we just talk about what the Bible says about minimum wage, social security, health care, welfare, immigration. He said, wait a minute. Does the Bible talk about immigration? I said, yeah. <laughs> What's it say? All of a sudden, he had an interest. So we try to make the case that blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And we're coming because we want to see their nation blessed.
1: Well, I love that. And it, and you know what? Obviously, God has given you a hearing. However you come by it, Jim, uh, and I know you well enough to know that you you know God really does anoint your words. He does. And I, that's not an accident. I want to ask you, uh, look, I, I've, my audience knows that I, I've talked about how I— Understood very clearly a long time ago that I was kind of like the radio host of the Gentiles that God had called me to do radio and television uh, to talk about uh, God's view on things, sometimes blatantly mentioning Jesus, and other times just talking about the principles, depending on who the audience was and how they how much they could receive. I know that's my calling, but how did you come to this?
3: Uh, uh, well, I, I'm not a young man, August. The 13th of 1956, I was a nine-year-old. August the 13th, 1956, I was watching, of all things, the Democratic National Convention. I'm a farm kid from Kansas, corn wheat farm. And our family was very attuned to political things. We were watching it, and and all I can say, some people would say a political bug bit me, but that's not a good way of saying it. A governmental anointing came upon me. It was decades later before I realized that. And it shocked me as a nine-year-old, 10-year-old, 11-year-old, 12-year-old. I was involved as much as I could be governmentally and very attuned to it. Uh, the, the, the center of the day for me was getting to watch the news and find out what was happening in Washington, D.C., or a state capitol. And I was shocked that every other kid wasn't like that. I did not know there was a uniqueness of a calling. Of course, in a few years, I finally understood that. So I have dabbled in that area constantly over 45 years of pastoring, always been active. I, I jokingly say I've been involved in 100 campaigns. I don't know how many, but it's, it's been a, a lot where I pray with that. I invite at my church, I invite Democrats, Republicans, and Independents. I said, we know you don't get as much attention as you want, particularly down-ballot races. You come to my church on Sunday, and I'll introduce you, regardless of your politics. Now, I want you to know this. You're going to have to sit through two sermons on the nature (laughs) of what God says about government. And number two, when people talk to you afterwards, you handle material, they're going to ask you. They're going to ask you questions like, what is your view of life? Because your view of life and protecting life in the womb is the number one foundational issue. But you can come. You're welcome to come. We'll have you. And by all means, do. And they did, particularly judicial candidates who got no attention, they were happy to come. And so I, I was very, very involved. I, I, be, I became involved a lot politically, governmentally, as much as I possibly uh, could from an extremely a young age. And then once we stepped aside from pastoring a local church uh, here in San Diego, I pastored Skyline Church for 23 years. And then we went full-time with the ministry, well-versed, with uh, it members of Congress and, uh, and, and then the United Nations, my wife, um, uh, my, wife passed, my first wife passed away of cancer 10 years ago. I married uh, Rosemary Schindler 12 years ago, and uh, she's been to Israel 75 years. So we launched a ministry uh, 75, 75 times, I must say. We <laughs> launched a ministry <laughs> in goodness. the Knesset um, with uh, two uh, rabbis doing the teaching, but it's, it's uh, Jews and Christians studying the Bible together, the Torah together, in the Knesset with the members of Knesset. And so that we've done on uh, seven different occasions. We've we've been there for that event.
1: Yeah, uh, you should, but we probably don't have time to go to all of it, but this is a great story about your wife. Uh, she is part of the Schindler, as an Oscar Schindler, Schindler's List family. And so it's a very cool. When I first met uh, Jim, he was a pastor of this Skyline Church, beautiful, huge church, powerful ministry. And then uh, the tragic loss of his wife was very sad. So it's just uh, interesting, Jim, how God has brought you on this journey and, blessed you so thoroughly, but but I have to ask you a few more questions. I uh, We were in a discussion in our church on Sunday, in our Sunday school class, about uh, judgment, and I, I do believe God's, I personally, you may disagree, I don't think you do. <laughs> you generally don't, we usually don't disagree on things, but I believe God is going to have to bring judgment. He's got to. We can't go on like this. We can't go on like this, but the issue of discussion was, is he judging the world, or our country, because of the, because of Christians, or because of sin in the world. Can you answer that?
3: Well, uh, the question is: It, it would be—is uh, America under discipline, or has we, are we moved to the next level? Are we under judgment? Uh, people debate that back and forth. My sensing is we have moved into an era where we are under we are under judgment. And that's why you started off the show, and I'm so thankful you did, Sandy, with uh, playing those excerpts from the National Gathering for Prayer and Repentance. It was December the 13th last year. I flipped on the television, and there was Joe Biden signing the document, which meant for the first time in the history of America, all three branches of government had now affirmed that for which God had destroyed Sodom never before had all three branches of government affirmed that for which god had destroyed sodom and and though it wasn't for inhospitality jude tells us why he destroyed sodom and so when i saw that was was sickening in my stomach i placed some calls tony perkins and mike ferris and, and congressman mike johnson and a few other and said can we do something on repentance that's our only hope is Biblical grounding and repentance are the only two hope we have to save this nation from full judgment, and they were definitely in agreement. And so we started planning that national gathering of prayer and repentance, and God directed us as we got. That was at the National uh, uh, Museum of the Bible on February the first. They put it at six thirty in the morning, and it was no breakfast and all prayer because many prayer breakfasts are all breakfast and no prayer, and this was no (laughs) breakfast, no coffee. And straight into prayer, and people had to be 530 to get through security, and it was snowing on top, of that light flurries. And we, we, we made a decision that we were not to introduce any person. And there was no applause to be allowed. And there was no speaking to the people, only vertical, directly to God. Only prayers, with the exception of a few people we assigned seven minutes to call us to repentance, like Jonathan Kahn and Anne Graham Lotz. And, and then, in addition to that, it could only be prayers of repentance. And the first category was personal sins. We went from personal sins to sin in the church. And then the big category we went into was national Amer- American national sins. And we went into times of repentance. And every person who prayed had 60 seconds, one minute to cry out before God. And we repented for everything. We went down the line. There were, there were former homosexuals who repented for the pushing of homosexuals. There were, there were former transgenders. There were former prostitutes. That, it was the whole gamut. There were, there were pastors, prominent pastors, repenting for sin in the church. There was repenting for all kinds of personal sins that were happening. And when it came time for members of Congress to come up, there were several of them, as they went onto the stage, went past me off the stage to pray, they grabbed my arm and said this, they, almost like they rehearsed it, this has been the most spiritual event we've ever been in. And they got up and began to weep openly before God, crying out for repentance. One lady who had run for president in Argentina was there, she told her driver, "Leave. I'm not. I'm not leaving this room. I cannot. I cannot leave. The presence of God is just so so strong in this place." And with two and a half hours, could have gone a little strong longer if we'd had the time. of not prayer. now. This year, on January 31, January 31. This is the first public announcement I've made of this. Uh, January 31. Uh, probably more like 7:30 in the morning. We're being told at to this point. So we'll know for soon, but. We're going to have not only the national, but international gathering for prayer and repentance. And we're inviting, carefully vetted, we do not allow a person to be on the platform, member of Congress or a member of Parliament, unless we know their Christian walk, that they're truly passionate walking in Christ. Because Sandy, there's a view in Washington, it's a tragic view. The view is like this. So long as we pray together, we can go back on the floor and the chamber and vote any way we want. So long as we pray (laughs) together, it's okay if one of us votes for mutilating children and transgenderism. So long as we pray together, we can go out there and one of us can vote for, uh, for, for, for mutilating babies in the womb, killing babies in the womb. That's the tragic view, and that's not true. If we pray together, we come into alignment with God's will, God's way, God's word, and we'll go in the chamber and we'll vote the same because we'll vote what Scripture says about those issues. So we are careful who we allow on the platform. We have to know the Lord. So we're bringing people from all over the world, many, many countries, Because your statement is our world under under judgment. The nations of the earth are on fire. This is a turbulent time. Has it always been this bad? I I, I can't speak to all of history. I know what I'm experiencing as I travel from nation to nation. And so we're coming to imagine the entire globe coming together to repent before a holy and just God, the judge himself. And we think that can make a difference. We think that's the mandate, the scriptural pattern, and that's why on January the 31st, the Museum of the Bible, we will do that. If you want information on it, we don't even have it set up yet, but they could go to (laughs) info at wellversedworld.org and send us information if if they want information on it, once we can put it together.
1: Uh, that sounds great, Jim. That sounds so great. And uh, let me just give the website, of course, is wellversedworld.org. And I'm sure in uh, short order, there will be something up there. I'm confident you'll have something so that they can, uh, when you get it set, wellversedworld.org. Uh, Jim, it's just such a pleasure to talk to you. And um, ah, gosh, I know God has anointed you for this work. And it's really a privilege to be a partner with you in this. So we, I mean, I think right now we are a restraining force. If we don't continue this, I can't even imagine what things will be like. We are a restraining force as long as God gives us the ability, the health, uh, and the power of the Spirit um, until he comes, and uh, that's kind of our mission. So Jim Garlow, founder and CEO of Well-Versed, uh, it's been a pleasure, Jim, and uh, please give Rosemary my very, very best, please.
3: I will, and Sandy, I want to tell you, every time I hear you speak anywhere, I I agree with the statement that you and I seem to have never disagreed on anything, ever, Uh, because every time you speak up, and go, oh, yes, I thank God for you. Praise God for Sandy Rios and the way you have stood. You are a friend.
1: Thank you, Jim. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Happy uh, post-4th of July. <laughs> and, uh, and until we, yeah, I'll see you soon, but uh, more importantly, we'll have more time in heaven to talk about all these things. So thanks for joining <laughs> me today for this version of Sandy Rios 24-7. This is Sandy Rios 24-7 on American Family Radio. All right, Sandy Rios, back with you. Well, uh, did you enjoy that? I certainly did. Uh, I also want to remind you that we couldn't do this without the support of Preborn. Uh, they are our sponsor, uh, and we're so grateful for that. They are in the business of saving babies and also of ministering to moms uh, to tell them that there is forgiveness. If I ever forget to say that, just to call me and remind me. Because no matter what you have done, unless it's reject the Holy Spirit yourself or just say you don't want God, uh, then there's nothing that you can do, including aborting your baby that God can't forgive. But the problem is, you know, you just, if you put yourself through that, it's so horrendous. There are consequences, even so, not, not the least of which is the loss of your baby. It's really hard to, to recover from that. But God can absolutely and will forgive you. I want to make that clear. And Preborn is in the business of telling those moms uh, that there's redemption, there's a better way, and even that life itself is sacred. That's news to some people. And that li- these little babies that are unborn in the womb are life. It's life, and you don't have the right to take their life. You are not God. That's preborn's message to moms. And so it's redemptive. It's not enough just to save babies' lives. I have to tell you that's not enough. It's not enough to just feed the poor. It's not enough to save women out of sexual trafficking. If you don't give the message of good news, the redemption that changes all of our hearts and cleanses us, it's not enough. And that's what Preborn is in the business of doing, and that's why I'm glad to partner with them. It's $28 for one ultrasound. And if you would like to help, go to preborn.com slash sandy. That's preborn.com slash sandy. And by the way, you know, if you want to call us and leave a message, you can call at 662- 821-2040, that's 662-821-2040, or you can go to SandyRios.com. It's a repository of the things that we are doing. That's SandyRios.com. You know, and just thinking about what Jim and I were talking about at the end about judgment and all of that, I've been been reading in Micah. Micah is one of the, Micah is the small prophecy book close to the end of the Old Testament where uh, one of the things that Micah pre- predicts is that Bethlehem is going to be the birthplace of the Savior. It's really remarkable because that's this is written probably seven well eight hundred years before the birth of Jesus. But that's not why I'm talking. That's not why I'm bringing your attention your attention to it. Micah talks about judgment, um, and he says basically, uh, the, I think you'll see some similarities here. He says, "Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds." When the morning dawns, they perform it because it is in the power of their hand. Just think about what's happening now: how people have power in their hand to contrive wickedness in their beds and get up and do it. And that's what's happening. They they cover they covet fields and seize them and houses and take them away. They oppress a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. Can we say IRS agents? Can we say schemes to take the hard? earn dollars of Americans. Uh, Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I am devising disaster against these people from which you cannot remove your necks and you shall not walk haughtily for it will be a time of disaster. And then it goes on to say, do not preach thus. (laughs) This is what, this is amazing to me. This is what Micah says and it's in quotes. The people he's talking about say, don't preach thus they preach. And this is in quotes, one should not preach of such things. Disgrace will not overtake us. So in other words, don't talk about doom and gloom. This is not going, going to happen. But then he goes to say, if a man should go about and utter wind and lies saying, I will preach to you of wine and strong drink. So this is what I'm going to preach about, wine and strong drink. He would be the preacher for this people. There are so many parallels in this book, it's amazing. He talks about disaster, he talks about how God's going to bring judgment, not only on the people that were, well, a lot of it is on the, the Jews themselves, but not just the Jews, it's the perpetrators of wickedness. And he describes terrible, terrible punishment in great detail, but then he goes to the end of it, this is why I wanted to read this to you. After all that he describes about the judgment that God is going to bring, he said, who is like you, God, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of your inheritance because God delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will cast out all of our sins into the depths of the sea. But the phrase I want to repeat again is that God delights in steadfast love. That's the place he likes to dwell. Yes, he's a God of judgment. Yes, he's a God of fury. You don't want to be on the wrong side of God. Don't do it. What is it? It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God, I think it says. In Hebrews, I believe that's in Hebrews. It's a fearful thing. Don't do it. But God, he really delights the most in steadfast love. So when you find fear coming into you because of all these things, remember That's who he is. Remember who it is that you serve. For those of you who are Christians, he loves steadfast love. He delights in it. That's what he wants. That's where he wants this to end, not in judgment. Now, for those of you that don't know him, you should be afraid, uh, and you should think very seriously about finding out about who this God is. Well, that's uh, all we have to say today. I hope that you learned a few things and enjoyed this version of Sandy Rios 24-7.